1: Hey there, and welcome back to Holding Space Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Cassidy, and I'm so glad you're tuning in today. In today's episode, we are covering the topic of postpartum OCD. I invited my colleague Jenna onto the podcast. She is a licensed therapist and someone who has lived with OCD herself. Together, we are opening the door to this often isolating experience, talking about the symptoms, differentiating Postpartum OCD to anxiety, depression, postpartum psychosis. And you are gonna leave with clear steps of what to do next if you find yourself resonating with this experience. I was so personally touched by this conversation with Jenna, which took place a few months ago, that I went ahead and signed up for and completed the training in the gold standard treatment for OCD, exposure response prevention. And so I'm professionally grateful to Jenna as well, as I continue and never stop learning and growing personally and professionally. This episode is brought to you by Cozy Earth. Cozy Earth first got on my radar when it was featured on Oprah's Favorite Things. Their women's loungewear is crafted from the same breathable and luxurious material as their bedding. I have their jogger set in ivory. And in our household, my husband does the laundry and I do the folding. But what often happens is he'll toss the laundry out where we fold the laundry, and then I if the whites were done, immediately I'm going through the clean laundry to find my Cozy Earth jogger set because I got it in ivory. And if I'm going to be doing laundry, I'm going to be comfortable. And I'm I'm truly obsessed. A Cozy Earth jogger set is the perfect gift for a loved one. There's Valentine's Day coming up, or maybe there's a birthday or another holiday whenever you're tuning in. Cozy Earth provided an exclusive offer for my listeners today, 35% off site-wide when you use the code Cassidy 35 I'll share a link in the show notes, and you can visit Cozy Earth at CozyEarth.com. All right, my Holding Space crew, I'm so glad you're tuning in today. Let's dive in and learn a little bit more about postpartum OCD. You're listening to Holding Space Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Cassidy Freitas. I'm a mom to three and licensed marriage and family therapist. I'm really glad that you took the time to hold space for you by tuning in to today's episode. My hope with this podcast is to share conversations with experts from around the world and parents who've been through it so that maybe you feel a little less alone in your experiences and the messy side of being a parent and being a human, and so that you can walk away with supportive steps for what to do next. Listening to this episode is not a substitute for seeking support from a professional in your area. I believe that holding space and offering presence to both ourselves and others is truly one of the most meaningful ways that we can express care, and you are so deserving of that care. Alright, are you ready? Let's dive in. Hi Jenna, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. I'm so excited to dive in to talking all about postpartum OCD, but before we do, I'd love to give you a chance to introduce yourself to the listeners and share a little bit about who you are and why this is a topic you're so passionate about.
2: Yeah. Well, thank you so much for having me. Like we said, kind of before the recording, this is just a really full circle moment for me. I found you when I was really struggling in the beginning. And Mm -hmm. like we talked about, little Jenna would be like so happy that she's here. Um, Mm -hmm. So back to where this all started for me, it really started in childhood. I always knew that I was an anxious kid, uh, would get anxious and nauseous before school, uh, usually just in the sense of more general anxiety and some social anxiety. But I also very early on knew that I was like very competitive with anxiety. Like it was almost this external force that was going to take things from me only if I let it. And so I would always then be like, okay, Well, I'm going to make sure that I sit with the most difficult person to sit with in the cafeteria. Or if I'm afraid of raising my hand in class, I'm going to make sure that I raise my hand in class. Mm. I just – I knew really early that that was the way to go about it and that if I kept giving into anxiety, it would just make my world smaller and smaller. Mm. So it was just kind of how I lived my life. I was still anxious, but I was always this, I just went for it, right? Like I never really negotiated any commitments that I had because of anxiety. I just kept going with it. Um, and I always knew that I wanted to be a therapist, but not what people typically think of as a therapist, like sitting and, you know, very gentle and sensitive and talking about things. I kind of mm-hmm. wanted to be more active with it. And I didn't mm-hmm. think that that ever existed for me. Um, So in my undergrad course, actually, it's very serendipitous how it happens because we don't normally learn about this. But I learned about exposure and response prevention in my Psych 101 course, which is yeah. come to find out the gold standard treatment for OCD and anxiety and related conditions. Um, and it's all about, you know, facing your fears. It's all about going outside of your comfort zone, you know, doing the scary things. And I was like, I have to do this. Like, this is it. This is in my bones. I just want to do this so bad. Yeah. Um, so I just hit the ground running like every paper, every research article, it, it was about OCD. It was about... You know, exposure and response prevention. I went on to study it more specifically in grad school, went on to work at some of the most, you know, world renowned places. I worked at Johns Hopkins, worked at Rogers Memorial Hospital um, with some of the most debilitating OCD cases in the world. And I, suddenly decided, you know, we kind of decided as a family, like it was time to take the next step and and we decided to have a baby. Um, and I remember it was in 2018, right before I gave birth to my son, um, feeling like very almost, I don't even want to say naive, but like ignorant, like, oh yeah, I know everything there is to know about OCD. Like I've spoken at conferences. I am a peer reviewed literature article person, right? Like I would never, you know, let those thoughts get to me. Um, and then I, you know, had my son. It was, in my opinion, a pretty traumatic delivery. It was just not what I expected, mm-hmm. um, which goes into like so many other things that moms have to deal with, right? It's kind of never what you expected. Um, but I remember a couple days after he was home, after we brought my son home, this tiny little infant, just wiggling around like so fragile. And I remember I had this intrusive thought that like, what if while I was putting on his socks, what if I snapped his ankles? Mm -hmm. And then I had this like, in hindsight, this cognitive misappraisal of that, which is like, oh my gosh, why did I have that thought? What does that mean that I want to? Like, does that mean that I would actually be capable of doing that? Yeah. And despite all of my knowledge, despite all of the logic, right? Like my logical side is like, well, just let that thought come and go and let yourself be uncomfortable and keep putting the socks on your baby. I remember like backing away with my hands up and being like, "Uh uh-uh, no way. Like I don't want to have that thought. I don't want to have that thought ever again. I, I won't do that. I'm not doing that. And so from that moment, it became, you know, I'm not do, I'm not putting socks on him anymore. It became the snowballing effect, right, which often happens with OCD. I couldn't put pants on him, shirts on him. Yeah, yeah. Um, my husband was taking over basic tasks, and you know, by the time he was six weeks old, I wasn't able to dress him at all. I wasn't, um, you know, able to give him a bath because um, yeah. that I started to have these intrusive, unwanted, scary images of drowning him or. Um, yeah came up in so many other ways too and it it morphed into so many different things that by that time I was done with my maternity leave three months later, I wish I could have gone to the residential setting that I worked at. Um and so it just it really snowballed. Um so yeah and I I, you know went to my medical provider for help and was gaslit, which happens to moms and new parents so often. I think there's a research stat that says 80% of new parents experience medical gaslighting. Um, That can come in the form of what happened to me, which was a welcome to parenthood, honey. Like, welcome, like, you know, saddle up. Like, this is what's normal. Um, And it's just really, really awful. So I remember thinking so much, like if I have all this context for what OCD is and I know what it is that I'm struggling with, and it still is so impactful and so awful, what are all these other women doing when they have no idea what this is and they are just dealing with these thoughts and they think that they're crazy or they think that they are harmful to their baby? Mm -hmm. Um, So I kind of made it my mission, like I'm going to get myself better first, um, which I did. And I'm so lucky for that. But then I wanted to just go all in and advocate and, you know, equip other moms and new parents about this, but it's a huge, huge problem um, from so many different angles. So really happy to be here to talk about it.
1: Oh my gosh. Thank you so much. And thank you so much for your willingness and courage to share these parts of your own story because I think my hope with our conversation today is to truly shed a light on an experience that is so much more common than we might think. But that we also need to really tease apart in understanding how do we know if it's OCD in comparison to, um, you know, just getting intrusive thoughts as many new parents oftentimes Mm -hmm. are much more susceptible to… To finding themselves experiencing, in comparison to depression, in contrast to postpartum psychosis, right, and, and then is postpartum OCD its own unique thing? You know, in terms of traditional OCD, right? What well, we would, mm-hmm. you know, somebody who is not postpartum, if you have never been diagnosed with, with OCD before, are is it possible that postpartum can trigger OCD? So, give us let us tease it let's tease us apart let's really begin to shed a light on this experience tell us all the things yeah so <laughs> all the things you know so I
2: think s- there's so many different angles where this all goes wrong, <laughs> right? <laughs> like all the miseducation and all the misdiagnosis. But so postpartum OCD of all the perinatal or postpartum mood conditions, mm-hmm. you know, postpartum anxiety, postpartum depression, postpartum psychosis, postpartum OCD is the mis- most misunderstood and the most misdiagnosed. Yeah. Um, Research shows that up to 80% of individuals um, who have OCD are actually going to be misdiagnosed. um, And up to 30% of those times, they're going to be misdiagnosed as having psychosis when they do not have psychosis, Um, which is really scary when you think about it because- I've worked with so many moms, um, and I say moms, but really, truly, this could happen to dads. It could happen to adoptive parents. It could happen to just primary caregivers. So no one is immune to this. It is not just a mom thing. Hormones obviously play a role, um, and we do see that like huge, you know, more influence in in moms just because of the roles that they play and such. But it can happen to anyone. So everything that I'm saying applies to caregivers of any kind. Um, but It's not just about, um, you know, cleaning. It's not just about Mm -hmm. perfectionism and fear of germs and kind of these more acceptable topics that we talk about with OCD. Um, I think we've come a long way in several years, um, you know, that we're kind of like destigmatizing OCD and we're trying to advocate more for what it is versus what it's not. Um, But just when I think that we've made strides, I'm, you know, I get another Khloe Kardashian thing about how she's like Khloe CD or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, And it just perpetuates this concept for individuals and sufferers, as well as professionals, that OCD is just, exists in this form of just you know, wanting to have things clean and orderly and tidy and fear of germs. And the only reason we hear about that, that we, the only reason we hear about those manifestations is because it's easy to talk about. Yeah. You're probably not going to get judged too, um, you know, harshly when you talk to somebody about the fact that you're fearful of germs when we just literally went through a huge pandemic, right? Yeah. You can kind of understand that.
1: Yeah, the shame, the whispers of shame, right? Like when it comes to perfectionism, cleanliness, it's like no that's that's acceptable that's actually right um and 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 there's lots of people that use like you're naming here use the term ocd to explain their maybe experience with perfectionism or mm-hmm. their preference for keeping things really orderly or clean right which i mean just that yes even outside of ocd sometimes you know those experiences can impact our functioning as well um but There is so much more to Mm -hmm. OCD that shame absolutely can come in and whisper, don't let anyone see. This yeah, part of you. especially as a mom,
2: right? Like, if you were to share this with anybody, let a, you know, let alone a professional, right? Like, what if they take your baby away? And that's not a completely unfounded fear. When thirty percent of individuals with OCD are going to be misdiagnosed as psychotic, um, oh the reality is, is so many parents have their babies taken away. They're sent to inpatient facilities. They're put on antipsychotic medications. It has long lasting effects, not just for the parents, um, but for the whole entire family. It, it compromises the bond, it compromises the family structure. Um, but there are what's actually most common is not even the contamination um, difficulties that people mm-hmm. have in OCD or the perfectionism. Um, it's actually intrusive thoughts. Um, mm-hmm. So these intrusive thoughts that come in out of nowhere, um, I call them spam thoughts. It's kind mm-hmm. of like, where the heck did that come from? Yeah. Um, but they're experienced as really intrusive. Um, they're ego dystonic. That's a big word that I want everybody to take away from here. Um, ego dystonic means that it's inconsistent with your values. It's yes. um, inconsistent with your character. So this is not something that you you know fits your schema of self. And it, it's something that you don't want to have.
1: You so feel disturbed was, or distressed by it. And that's yeah. a huge, huge piece, right? Um, that I'll oftentimes share with my clients. Mm-hmm.
2: This, this, like, I don't want to think about it. I don't want to think about it. I don't want to think about it. And that's what differentiates people who actually do have potential psychosis or psychotic symptoms is that they're convinced, right? Like the same way that you and I are convinced that we're there. We're not even convinced. We know it, right? Like we know that we're therapists, Um you know, I wasn't certain, 100% certainty that I wanted to harm my baby. I was yeah. worried, what if I did? And, you know, it's – it's, and I didn't want that. I wanted to get rid of that thought. I remember wanting to, like, scratch my brain out. Like, it was just – it was so uncomfortable to just be with my brain. Um, but there's harm-intrusive thoughts, um, thoughts that you would either on accident or on purpose harm your baby or your child. Um, And there's also super taboo, don't talk about it enough, but I struggled with it too, sexual intrusive thoughts. Um, I Once I started to have difficulties with my son in the bathtub, it started to become like, oh, did you look a little bit too long at his penis? Did you actually like that? And that was just absolutely disgusting to me. Like that was like, oh my God, like why am I thinking that? Like that's so – I am – that's just awful. And then I wasn't able to change his diapers. Are you wiping a little bit too much down there? Did you really have to? Um, even as he got older, I was, I would help him like put on his nighttime underwear or his nighttime diaper. Um, and I would have to make sure that I had to like tuck his penis down. Otherwise he'd peel over his face. And it got to the point where I was like, my, my intrusive thought was like, did you really have to tuck his penis down or did you like doing that? And it's, it's so disgusting, right? Like the, the experience of that is not the same as someone who actually wants those thoughts and that's very very different but society and medical professionals don't understand that they'll hear about these thoughts you know i'm really afraid that i'm going to hurt my baby or i'm having these like awful disgusting perverted pedophilic thoughts about my baby and they hear i got to call the police i got to you know put this person in inpatient and keep their child safe but research actually shows too that people who have these unwanted intrusive thoughts are actually less likely to engage in harming their baby than the average Jane or Joe, Um, which I think just goes to speak to the fact that these are so unwanted and they are the least likely individuals to actually engage in these behaviors
1: because they're so terrified by it. Mm, Yeah. And when you think about the brain after a baby is born and some of the reasons why research hypothesizes or has indicated that Um, birthing parents, you know, and non-birthing parents after a child is born have more intrusive thoughts, have increased anxiety, are more susceptible to OCD during that period of time is because when you look at it probably from like an evolutionary perspective, it's like our brain's like, oh, this very fragile, like little human that you are fully responsible for, let's keep them safe. And sometimes our brain... (laughs) works works in a way that isn't actually <laughs> super helpful, but by showing us all the potential threats, right? And mm-hmm. giving us these sort of I- ideas of all the potential threats that could happen. And so it actually makes so much sense that the person who's having those really intrusive thoughts, their brain is working so hard to keep that baby safe. I mean, to the point where it's impacting their functioning, right? Where it's not, it's it's actually... It's actually not helping them, you know, but it is keeping them so on guard for the threats that what you're saying here in terms of, you know, these individuals are actually that much less likely to engage in these behaviors or to hurt their child, you know, comparatively. It makes sense because that's, Mm -hmm. that's the brain's goal. It's just, it's working in a way that, isn't actually supportive to yeah. to that family, right? And to so that person. And the
2: brain only cares about survival, right? Like yeah. the brain doesn't care if we're happy. The brain doesn't care if we make good memories or if your child is like a, a worthwhile adult and a responsible, you know, loving human being. It cares if it makes it through the night. And yeah. so, you know, evolutionarily, yeah, it made sense to, you know, check your baby in the middle of the night. Um, but uh, again, to your point, like we're not there anymore; like yeah. we don't really need to be checking our babies to that degree, right? Um, but we don't always know that. Um, and so, I, I love your point too from earlier that yes, we all and research shows that everybody on this Earth, I think it's ninety-five to ninety-nine percent of individuals. I think the ones who say they don't have intrusive thoughts, they're either lying or they didn't understand the question. <laughs> um, I, you know, our brains are really complicated; we can't understand everything that's going on up there um so everyone has intrusive thoughts it's a matter of kind of what and what content and what they you know how they respond to it but when ocd really becomes a you know when obsessions and compulsions become a disorder it's like you're no longer able you're no longer in the driver's seat right like you you want to not check your baby. like You need to go to bed and, and you want to not do that, but you feel this compulsion. You feel compelled to go and do it. You feel really urgent about it. Yeah. You feel like if you don't, something bad will happen and you just feel like you're not yourself. You feel like you're no longer in control. And yeah, I, I've worked with people who haven't touched their babies for the first six months because they were terrified that if they did, they would just like, you know, crush their heads, (laughs) like just randomly lose control of their impulses uh, with no explanation that they would just randomly lose control of their impulses and smash their heads um, or that they would, you know, touch their baby inappropriately. Like moms not being able to touch their babies for the first six months. It's really, really devastating.
1: Yeah. Okay. So talk to us a little bit about some of the symptoms of OCD so that the listener can begin to you know really take a look at their experience in the privacy of listening to this podcast and begin to identify if this might be something that they're experiencing and then we can talk about steps that they can take to get the support that they need right like I hear you naming naming the fears that folks have of taking a step to get support. And I want to make sure that we leave the listener with guidance and how to do that in a way where they're going to be heard and supported. Um, but first let's talk about some of the symptoms because I know that the diagnostic criteria for OCD has, has shifted and evolved over the years. So could you share a little bit of that with us?
2: Yeah. So when we're looking at the DSM criteria, um, it does have us, uh, needing to look for obsessions. So obsessions are intrusive thoughts, ideas, images, impulses, feelings. Uh, we also include commands in there. A lot of times people will experience these intrusive commands, like, "Well, will just kiss them and get it over with, mm-hmm. um, or just, just hit her and get it over with. And that can be very, very, mm-hmm. um, debilitating and scary for people, mm-hmm. honestly. Um, so it can come in a wide range of different experiences. You know, images are very common, um, th- intrusive thoughts, these kind of like what if dot, dot, dot uh, questions that can be very scary. Um, and then, you know, that would make anybody feel anxious, right? Like what if I don't check on my baby in the middle of the night and they end up dying and that's my fault? Um, or what if I, you know, were to touch my baby inappropriately, Um Makes us anxious, and then we engage in compulsions, which is the second uh, criteria that we look for. Um, So compulsions are synonymous with rituals. Um, You might also hear them be being called more loosely like safety behaviors. But these compulsions are things either mentally or behaviorally, so they're either overt or covert um, things that you feel like you need to do in order to make yourself feel better or mediate or neutralize the anxiety that you had from that obsession. So, yeah you know, if I, you know, I felt anxious that I might snap my son's ankles, or I just didn't really like the experience of having that thought. And so my compulsion or ritual was to avoid, right, to allow my husband to do that instead. Um, I, you know, in, there are an innumerous amount of yeah. um, obsessions and compulsions. There's no limit to what OCD can um, kind of turn into. Uh, I've already talked about harm uh, harm, um, intrusive thoughts, sexual intrusive thoughts. Um, certainly contamination can happen. I know a lot of times, you know, new parents are really obsessive and compulsive about making sure that everything is perfectly clean. Um, worked with somebody who lined their entire house with like garbage uh, trash, like trash cans, uh, mm-hmm. trash can liners and uh, garbage bags um, to make sure that their child never actually like touched the floor. Mm-hmm. And that's just not sustainable, right? right. Like as soon right. as a baby starts to walk or whatever, right? Like what kind of life is that? Yeah. um and yeah, it can come in so many different ways. Generally, also, we look for these things to take up at least an hour a day. Uh, I don't really pay attention to that too much, right? Some of these things are hard to quantify, especially things like mental compulsions that don't necessarily take time, time, or you're still like right. behaving in the real world. And also avoidance, right? Avoidance is a huge compulsion. It just makes you feel better in the moment, but it makes everything worse in the long run. Mm-hmm um same way that I avoided putting my socks on my son that didn't stop there right like it just reinforced everything so I was fearful of putting on his pants and so on and so forth so avoidance is a big one too um but then obviously we look for distress and impairment so mm-hmm. to what degree you know is this causing distress in your life uh potentially in other uh areas of your family too like is it putting distress and impairment on say your spouse or your partner um other children and then impairment, right? So, um, you know, impaired ability to tend to your activities of daily living or ADLs, you know, being able to take care of yourself, being able to take care of your baby. Um, I always say if someone feels like they're having these scary thoughts or if they're resonating with anything and they want to fix it and they want to, you know, get back yeah. in control, then that that's probably a good time to start th- seeking out therapy. And the good thing is that while untreated OCD can be one of the most debilitating conditions, um, it's actually one of the most responsive to treatment. Um, yes. And we have exposure and response prevention, ERP is one of them. Um, there's a few evidence-based treatments for OCD, um, but exposure and response prevention has the most robust uh, research backing, the most like robust literature behind it. Um, and it's incredible. It's it's absolutely life changing. And it's I would argue that it's not even for just OCD, right? Like when we get to these big concepts of what ERP is all about, it's good to be able to go in the direction of your values instead of your fear. It's good to be able to, you know, sit with that distress and to sit with uncertainty, um, because like you said, you you mentioned something about yeah, like when you have a baby, it is this thing that is. You know, that you just love more than anything, right? For new parents, especially, I always call it the triple whammy. OCD latches onto what we value, OCD latches onto what we feel most responsible for, and OCD latches onto what's uncertain. <laughs> and like, what is a better petri dish of all of that than new parenthood, yeah. right? Like, we value that baby more than anything in the whole entire world. We arguably are the most responsible for that baby and it's so uncertain, right? We don't know how they're feeling. We don't know if they need something and we can't figure it out. Yeah. So it's just the perfect, you know, storm really. But there are lots of treatment available
1: options out there for people. Yeah. Okay. So a couple, a couple points here that you made. Um, so one example I wanted to share in terms of um, sexual intrusive thoughts and compulsions. Um, I knew somebody who would have those sexual intrusive thoughts and commands um, while changing their, their little one's diaper. And, it, and they ended up always double diapering their baby as a way to like protect the baby from themselves and were very distressed um, by, by those thoughts. But it took them so long. To ask for help because of mm-hmm. the fears of and the shame whispers of what is what is so wrong with me that I'm having these thoughts and like who in the world could I share this with? But the minute that this person did, they were they took that first step and got treatment. It was it, it just like you said. It is absolutely one of the experiences that it responds so well to treatment. Um, and you mentioned. There's different treatment modalities. Um, but before we kind of talk a little bit more about that, I did want to ask about the, compuls- the, the compulsive compulsions, because I know that sometimes the compulsions can be directly connected, right? Like she would double diaper because mm-hmm. during diaper changes is when she found herself feeling really vulnerable to those intrusive thoughts. And it was a way to, you know, protect the child, even though obviously a double diaper doesn't protect a child from sexual abuse. It was just mm-hmm. her brain's way of saying, take this step, extra step and then that will kind of soothe the anxiety. I also know a lot of folks who have compulsions that are that that there's there's it's really hard to draw a connection between the compulsion and the intrusive thought that they're having. There might be certain rituals or certain um, movements or counting or certain things that they feel like they have to say or do in response to the intrusive thought, even if it has nothing to do with the thought image itself. And mm-hmm. so just wanted to kind of to name that because sometimes people are like, well, I don't know if these are compulsions. And also there's the question of do there have to be compulsions in order for somebody to be experiencing OCD. How, how would you How would you answer that question? Coexist is the app that's revolutionizing how couples manage the mental load of household tasks and childcare. It's like having a personal assistant right in your pocket, helping you and your partner effortlessly share tasks, plan meals, collaborate on lists, and even give each other kudos along the way. Here's the cherry on top. For my amazing community, Coexist is offering an exclusive deal. Sign up for a two-week free trial before June 15th, and you'll get 15% off the annual plan on iOS with the code DRCASSIDY15. So what are you waiting for? Really take that first step towards a more harmonious home life today. Download Coexist on Android or iOS at getcoexist.com.
2: So a couple of examples come to mind, especially with my time working at Rogers Memorial Hospital for eight years. I, it was a residential setting, meaning you know people would pack their bags. They would come to Rogers and live with us for like 45 to 60 days. They were the most debilitating cases in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I would have people who had certain harm intrusive thoughts or sexual intrusive thoughts, and then they would need to like go back and repeat whatever it was that they were doing until they didn't have that thought again. Um, I, I am, you know, a a big one that comes to mind just really readily is like having to have a good thought before you walk through a door, like, or before you like enter a new room. Um, so yeah, I mean, I mean, it, it doesn't always have to make sense, um. Sometimes it does and sometimes it doesn't. Um, You know, so many people out there too, like they may count or they may, you know, if they have an intrusive thought or a scary thought, they may feel like they have to, you know, neutralize is a big one, right? Like if I have a bad thought, then I need to negate it or replace it with a good thought. Um, You know, if I am having these scary images of harming my baby and throwing him off the balcony, oh, I'm just going to replace that with a good thought. I'm just going to replace that with a good thought of the two of us having a great, You know, movie night, Um, you know, a happy memory. And all of these compulsions, whether they make sense or not, you know, however subtle they are, they make us feel better in the moment, but they essentially tell our brain, oh, that's that's why, you know, Jenna needed to do something about that. That must have been dangerous. So let me keep that in mind in the future. Um, Mm -hmm. And yes, technically in the DSM, you need obsessions or compulsions. Like you can have both, obviously, which is common and, and what I would argue happens pretty much all the time. Um, but I would say that if if somebody is having these intrusive thoughts and they are truly like they cannot identify any compulsion or like anything that they're doing, they're probably engaging in it in some way. Mm-hmm. They're probably avoiding, you know, reminders yeah. of it, right? So even if it's as simple as avoidance, yeah. like avoiding putting on the socks or avoiding, you know, it can be the smallest most nuanced thing, but even that avoidance is a compulsion, right? Like yeah. it serves the behavior of providing temporary relief and then a, you know, negating or mitigating the anxiety that you felt from that obsession. Yeah. There are also so many sneaky mental compulsions, um like ruminating is a really sneaky compulsion that I feel like everybody can relate to. I feel like I've never worked with anybody who didn't avoid and who didn't ruminate. Yeah. Um, you know, I I I don't I don't know. In all of the hundreds probably of people that I've treated, I I've, I've always been able to come up with a compulsion. Again, even if it's n- very subtle, even if it's just ruminating or some kind of like sneaky mental compulsion or if it's just avoidance, right? I mean, I avoid things. I I would say that I'm recovered and I no longer meet diagnostic criteria for OCD, but I still avoid things. There are still times where, you know, I need to go and pick up my son and I'm like, I know I'm going to be alone with him for a really long time. So I wait in my car for five or 10 more
1: minutes before I go and get him. Like Mm
2: -hmm.
1: we all avoid every once in a while. Yeah. I think it's so important to name that these compulsions can be sneaky in the ways that you're describing, right? Because I think that sometimes the way that OCD is portrayed in the movies, right? It's – it's they're, they're not sneaky compulsions. It's like these, you know, it's, it tends to be this very um, one-dimensional portrayal of what OCD can look like. And because that tends to be our reference point, if we don't match up with that portrayal, it's like, well, I don't know if it's, I don't know if this is really OCD, mm-hmm. right? And
2: And I think something else that contributes to that problem is we have so many statistics that say, oh yeah, two to 3% of new moms will experience postpartum OCD. But there are so many problems with that. Like one, like, what are we screening for? Like, I I know when I had my baby, all I was ever given was the Edinburgh depression scale. Like me too. Like that's all I was given. And I know that When I, I begged them to give me like the Y box, which is a screener for OCD. I begged them to give me the docs, like give me something that actually screens for OCD. And it wasn't, a lot of them are outdated. A lot of them are about contamination fears. A lot of them Mm -hmm. are about, um, you know ordering and perfecting. And so of course, yeah, if you give a new mom like a the, the wrong assessment or an outdated assessment that doesn't capture her unique experience, yeah. she's going to still be really struggling, but you're just not capturing it. And two, we've already talked about that moms aren't willingly going right. at the rate that they probably should be yeah. to talk to their doctors about this. Yeah. So, I fear when I read things like, "Oh yeah, 2 to 3% of women struggle with this." I worry about that because mm-hmm. I worry that a mom out there is going to be struggling and be like, oh, it's only 2% of women. It can't possibly be me. Yeah, There's research that shows that up to 100% of new parents experience these intrusive thoughts. And as many as 20% of new moms within the first six months would actually meet diagnostic criteria for OCD. But when we just say 2 3%, right. it makes us feel like, oh, that can't be me. It's only 2 right. to 3%.
1: And so for the listener, if you are right now being like, you know, I actually do get these like intrusive thoughts and images. I don't know if I meet criteria for OCD, but it's distressing to me. It's bugging me. It's impacting me. You deserve support. You deserve support to reach out to, you know, cross that bridge to talking to someone who is who feels safe to you, whether that is a natural support in your life or a therapist And getting that support today, Um, you deserved it like yesterday. So so many women, like I don't take –
2: I know you probably too. Like it's hard to take your own advice. Like I know as a new mom, like I I knew that I needed therapy. But I remember telling my husband, if I had time for therapy, I would take a shower and then I wouldn't need therapy. (laughs) It's like – no, like this is not going to get better on its own. This yeah. is not something that's going to get better on its own. This is not something that is just like baby blues and, mm-hmm. you know, it's just hormones changing and things get better. You know, this is really insidious is probably my favorite word mm-hmm. to describe OCD. It doesn't feel like it's much of anything at first. And then all of a sudden, three months later, you know, you're really struggling. You know, it, it can just impact so much and treatment. Can help you forever.
1: Yeah, talk to us a little bit about medication and what what do you, what's the role of medication when it comes to OCD? So medications can be great for OCD. Um,
2: I know a lot of women out there are worried about, you know, should I take medication while I'm breastfeeding? Can I take them while I'm pregnant? You know, maybe with another baby. And you have to weigh the pros and cons, right? You have to weigh, you know, there's always going to be side effects or, you know, it's not like a no cost option. Yeah. Um, but you have to weigh the costs too of untreated OCD on your baby and on your bond and on the unborn baby, so on and so forth. So definitely something good to talk to your doctor about. Um Research also shows that medication plus a behavioral intervention like ERP can be super helpful. I will say, though, that um, I think of medication for OCD as kind of being like blood pressure medication for blood pressure issues. Um, it's going to help you with your symptoms. And I've taken medication before. It definitely helped me feel like I was like no longer underwater. Like, yeah. oh, I can finally get it now. Yeah. Like, I get it now. Um but it 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 really just works to appease some of the symptoms. It doesn't actually work on the problem. So you can take right. blood pressure medication and maybe help with some of the you know superficial symptoms. But if you don't change anything about your lifestyle, nothing is gonna change. Yeah. Um, so I would say that it's much the same. Um, some other analogies that I like to use for the medication piece is that it will it might help you get to the starting line, but it's not going to run the race for you. Yeah. Um, and that was really the case in my scenario. It helped me be able to be more like understanding and like more willing and accepting of the treatment. But it I I mean, it would never have been able to just stop with medication.
1: Yeah. I oftentimes use very similar metaphors of, you know, if someone feels like they're underwater and you mentioned this it's really hard to hear the people above water who are supporting you. It, it, it all sounds garbled, right? Like you yeah. don't even know where shore is. You, every time you take a breath, it's like you're swallowing more water and it feels like you're drowning. And it's really hard to have the energy and the concentration and mm-hmm. the, yeah, it's in order to get to the finish line, right. Or to get to shore. And, in those cases, I have found for many folks, the right medication um, can help get their head above water. And- yeah, and that is truly what it felt like. It felt like I – I know that. And like, I know that it should make sense, but
2: I feel like it, it just is like, yeah, just felt like I couldn't really accept it. It felt like everybody was throwing these balls at me, Mm -hmm. but like my hands weren't up to accept them. Yeah. And once I started medications, it was like, okay, I can finally start to catch some of these now and like pick up what you're throwing down. Um, but the treatment, um, is great too. And yeah, it's, It's life changing. And I think we could all use a little bit of ERP in our lives, to be honest. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah,
1: for sure. Okay. So for the listener, what's the first step that they can take following listening to this episode to get support, to learn more? So
2: it depends on kind of where they're at with their journey, right? So I would, you know, if if you want that first first most basic step of like talking to a professional, talking to a trusted person, um, I would go into those conversations being armed with a couple of different things. I would definitely go in there with the word and understanding of the term ego dystonic. Um, Unfortunately, again, with the medical gaslighting and misunderstandings and misdiagnosis that happens, um, it's not you; it's the system. Um, you are probably going to be misunderstood. You are probably going to be gaslit to some degree. I I wish I wish that wasn't true. Um, but my OBGYN knew that I was a well trusted and well respected OCD professional in my small little city. And when I went to her and I told her that I was very sure of what it was that I was experiencing, she said that I should just give my son a binky, a pacifier, and not be so hard on myself. Oh
1: my God. And I'm so sorry.
2: And like, if that's like what they said to me, like, uh, I know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Um, I just, you know, it's going to happen. It's going to happen to, unfortunately, a lot of the, you know, new parents out there. So don't be discouraged. I mean, be it's going to be discouraging, but just come in there armed with a couple okay. of things. So, right. So understanding the term ego dystonic, like, no, I know I'm pretty sure of what it is that I'm, I'm experiencing. I'm pretty sure these are ego dystonic thoughts that I absolutely do not want to have that I would not act on. I, I need help. This is characteristic of obsessive compulsive disorder. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's again the big differentiation between uh, postpartum OCD and postpartum psychosis yeah. is this they're they're unwanted they're not things that you would actually want to do these things actually cause a lot of fear and a lot of anxiety yeah. and you know aside from just under knowing knowing that you're probably going to have to advocate for yourself and and using the word and term ego dystonic I would also be aware that you're probably going to have to advocate for something other than the basic Edinburgh Depression Scale. Yeah. Um, right now, we don't have anything that's postpartum OCD specific, and so yeah. what we're relying on is, you know, the Dimensional OCD Scale, the Docs or the Y-Box, the Yale Brown Obsessive Compulsive Scale. Um, you know, and I had to advocate for that, you know, with my nurse practitioner. Um, yeah. So, you know, I think. Women just don't get in general, new parents don't get the new the attention or care that they need. Uh, we go from like every week at the end of our pregnancy to like, okay, yeah, I'll see you in six weeks and then see yeah. you again in a year. Um, it's kind of like you just get this very face-valid Edinburgh depression scale, which is like, have you thought about killing yourself? <laughs> right. Yeah. Do you cry yourself to sleep? It's like very scary to fill out, honestly. Yeah. Um, and so yeah, so you're gonna have to you know advocate for something adi- in addition to just the Edinburgh depression scale um and don't fall for the trick that anything that you're struggling with in postpartum is postpartum depression right yeah. like i feel like as soon as a mom is struggling once she has a baby like oh it's postpartum depression um yeah. even if there's no signs of sadness and low mood and low energy and low appetite you know you can obviously have ocd and depression right. and that Often happens that often is very comorbid, but it is very possible um, to just have OCD, and you should be treated as somebody who has OCD. Yeah. Um, and the treatment for that is not the treatment for depression.
1: Yep. No, absolutely. Okay, and so where where could somebody find a therapist that um or a you know, psychologists, psychiatrists, or a provider that could offer them support? What would be your recommendations for where to go to find that person? My number one recommendation
2: would be to make sure that you're finding somebody who knows how to do exposure and response prevention or ERP. Mm -hmm. Um, Like I said, there are other evidence-based treatments out there, like ACT is an evidence-based treatment for OCD. There's also a new one called Inference-Based CBT. But the research just isn't there yet. Like if my loved one was struggling with OCD, I would 100% say you need exposure and response prevention. Like I'm going to put my bets on that. Yeah. Um, so 100% probably want to find somebody who has experience with working with exposure and response prevention. Unfortunately, it's not enough, in my opinion, to find somebody who just does CBT. That's what you're going to find a lot. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. I. I you know. I, I work using CBT. It's Cognitive Behavioral Therapy cognitive behavioral therapy is a very umbrella term. It's very generic and broad. And underneath that are a lot of different interventions that are more specific. So acceptance and commitment therapy or ACT, there's dialectical behavioral therapy for DBT and emotion regulation. Um, and then we there's a lot of others, but then we have ERP. Mm-hmm. So while ERP is a CBT-based intervention, Mm -hmm. CBT is not necessarily ERP. Yeah. (laughs) So I know it's like, it can get confusing, but, um, you don't necessarily want to find a therapist who just does CBT. Um, it could mean that they do ERP, but it doesn't necessarily mean that. So just make sure that you're finding somebody who does exposure and response prevention. Um, And you can do that. Some of my favorite resources are the International OCD Foundation, so IOCDF.org. And then um, psychologytoday.com is – Uh, as long as you're doing the best research possible, right? Like making sure that you actually do find somebody who does ERP and not just CBT. Um, and then, um, no CD is really great. Um, treatmyocd.com. Um, every therapist there goes through a really rigorous training, um, on OCD, including postpartum OCD, as well as exposure and response prevention, um, So if I had
1: a loved one, I would send them to those three resources. Yeah, thank you. And we'll share links to all of this in the show notes. And Jenna, where can folks continue to connect and follow you? So if anything that I said resonated, I have my own podcast.
2: It's called All the Hard Things. Um, I go really in detail about OCD, about exposure and response prevention. Um, I also have a um, an Anonymous series on my podcast. It's where I brought in moms from all over the country. They come and they share their story anonymously. So I know when I was a new mom, like nothing helped me more than knowing that I wasn't the only one who felt that way. Yeah. And I just really loved hearing other people's stories and like, oh my gosh, like I have that thought too. And I thought I was the only one. Um, So if you need that experience, that's a great place to find it on my podcast. And then I hang out mostly on Instagram at uh, Jenna.Overbaugh. So um, yeah, between those two places, uh, hopefully you can find out a lot more research, a lot more, um, a lot more education about these resources if you find that this was helpful
1: beautiful jenna thank you so much for taking the time to come on and talk about and shed light on this really important topic i'm so grateful to you and all that you shared with us today for the listener i will share the resources mentioned in the show notes go give jenna a follow go tune into that podcast i i just i'm so grateful for the work you're putting out there for for moms and for new parents thank you so much jenna thank you so much. I hope you enjoyed that episode. If you did, you might want to hit that subscribe button to be the first to know when future episodes air and go and explore some of those past episodes. Maybe there's a topic in there that you've really been wanting to learn more about. You can learn more about my private practice as well as my parenting courses and workshops at the link in the show notes. You held space for yourself today. You carved out the time and you tuned in to this episode. I hope you take a moment to honor how meaningful that is. Yes, to me, for sure, but also for you. Thank you for tuning in and I'll catch you next time.